The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. This is my weekly radio show. I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I am really glad you're listening in. This is a show where we explore and we celebrate the principles and practices of workplace visuality, of the visual workplace. Another way to say that is of letting the workplace speak. Whatever your workplace is, if you work in a restaurant, in a dry cleaners, in a factory, in a hospital, in a bank, in an open pit mine, at a military depot, it's your workplace and it's there to hold your voice, to hold the devices that hold your intelligence. We call those visual devices. So every week we look at some aspect of letting the workplace speak either through a conversation such as today with a company leader, sometimes an author, sometimes we'll walk through a lesson. I'll tell you about something that I know about the visual workplace. We'll spend an hour talking about a a principle or a practice, uh, and that's me talking to you. I hope that you'll call in and let us know not only what you think of what we're doing, but also your own questions. And, you know, I have this imagination that after we get a little bit more um, getting acquainted, that we'll have shows that are real clinics for people who are working on workplace visuality. And we'll have a whole show of questions and answers where we can hear about your situation, help you assess it, and maybe come up with solutions that you haven't thought about before for you to keep going and to keep growing. My work is based on research and implementations that I've been doing over the last almost 30 years, and I really am fascinated by this field, this field of seeing and this field of thinking. So today we have a real treat in store, We're going to welcome Brent Allen, who's the Vice President of Operations and Strategic Improvement at Lifetime Products in Utah. And he's going to be talking to us about a visual, the visual conversion that his company is going through. It's an improvement conversion. And I want to say just a couple of things before we welcome him about visuality and company conversions. Company conversions change everything. That's their purpose. They change the process and they change us in the process. So you can't go through a legitimate company conversion and not in a way improve yourself. You learn to align with people more correctly and more accurately and more fully. You also are improving the processes. You're improving the thinking of your organization. It really is a kind of immersion experience. They 
these conversions take anywhere from two to three to five years to uh, launch and then to uh, rise up and then to complete themselves. And you have a new organization when it's finished, a new culture, new operations. You have much better costs. You have more streamlined processes, vastly improved quality, on-time delivery, safety, all of those good things. When we implement visually, at least as I've been doing it over these almost three decades, these conversions are eye-driven. The voice of the individual is heard throughout. And it's one of the things that I believe that Brent will uh, talk about as he's describing what's happening in his organization. This eye-driven, if it's a new term and you haven't been listening to our other shows or perhaps you've forgotten, it isn't the eye as in vision, the E-Y-E, the eyes that we see with, although it could be because, you know, this is visual. But it is the eye of the person, the individual, the individual who brings themselves to work every day, who comes to do a great job, hopes to be a hero at work, and works with other eyes. Okay? What I'm talking about here is this tremendous power that we hold within ourselves to do good work, to align with our day, to align with our life and the lives of others, the eye-driven part of a conversion. So that just kind of gives you a framework for some of the big, big, big principles that we're looking at in this kind of work. And now <laughs> I have the pleasure of welcoming Brent Allen, Vice President of Operations and Strategic Improvement at Lifetime. Brent, I'm really delighted that you are here and joining us today. Thank you. Well, I'm pleased to be sharing the Lifetime story. Let me tell you just a little bit about Lifetime. Oh, good. Lifetime is a private privately owned company in Clearfield, Utah. We have over 1,200 people. Uh, we have four major product families, uh, residential basketball, folding tables, outdoor storage, and a new area we're doing kayaks, as in uh, river, lake, and ocean kayaks. Um, we're fortunate that uh, we are able to be the world largest in residential basketball. We have about a 60% market share. Uh, that was because we somewhat invented the category. Um, we came up with a adjustment with a broomstick that you stuck the broom handle under, underneath the rim and you'd push it up and it would ratchet up and down. We called that our slam dunk basketball system. And another great invention we had was a blow-molded plastic top utility table. Uh, before we had in, uh, introduced that table, the common tables were pressed wood that were very hard, very heavy. They'd have a steel edge that would, would hurt your hand, and we were able to bring in tables that were both lighter and stronger than those old pressed wood tables. Uh, our major customers in, in basketball are Sports Authority, Dick's. Uh, we sell to Walmart, Kmart, Sam's, Costco, BJ's. Lowe's, um, some of the things that, that, that we do that we're proud of is we focus on doing it ourselves, uh, vertical integration. We provide about 80% of our own raw materials in that we provide the blow-molded parts that, that go into our tables and basketball systems. We also buy steel directly from the mills, and then we turn that coil 
uh, steel into tube uh, parts, roll form parts, stamping parts. Um, uh, we've been in business for about 25 years. And you need to tell us what's really unusual about your manufacturing site because all of that is great and interesting and then you have a particular challenge. Will you tell us about that? I think I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, here in Clearfield, Utah, uh, we're housed in an old naval supply depot. And uh, these buildings um, are about uh, are fairly large warehouses. And we're in 20 of them. And we have to move all of our raw materials and finished goods between these buildings through a fleet of trucks. So that that's probably a unique challenge that we have. It's very interesting. So what I'd like you to imagine is an army barrack complex. I think there's probably 150 of those barracks, are there not, at Clearfield? There's 100. There's a hundred. Okay, so they're identical, and they used to house during when it was occupied by the military. They used to house people sleeping in the barracks or offices or whatever. And I think there's something like 300 by 600. That's the footprint of each of these buildings. And even though Lifetime has some of these buildings that are close together, maybe just across the street or right next door. Some of them are scattered throughout because the company has been growing like Topsy and many of the buildings that were surrounding them are now occupied by other companies. So this is a really unique challenge. It isn't just that you are manufacturing, keeping your costs down, your safety high, making great products for your customer, but you have to create a connectivity against across that which is physically separate. So... Bear that in mind. It's just really amazing to move between these buildings. I've, I've done that. I've gone from one meeting to another, and I, I moved five buildings. So that's one thing. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, and then if you could, Brent, move us into um, Lifetime's improvement journey. That would help us get a fuller picture before we move into visuality. Well, my personal background is I was a school teacher before I got into manufacturing. And as you know, school teachers always like to moonlight. And I ended up working for a very small company at the time. It was called American Playworld. And they made uh, outdoor uh, commercial-style basketball systems, and trampolines was our big product. And as a school teacher, I was just working there on Saturdays and then in the summer. And... Uh, the owner, Barry, offered me a job, and so I, I left the school teaching ranks and went into the world of, of manufacturing. <laughs> Did you, were you prepared for that? Did you actually know what you were going to get yourself, get yourself into? Uh, no, no, it was all, it's all been a big adventure. <laughs> At that time, we were very, very small, and we've, we've grown to be a medium-sized company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, we've had a lot of adventures over the years. Fantastic. So begin to tell us uh, about Lifetime's improvement journey, knowing that in, a, in about 20 seconds there's going to be a break. Just get us started, and we'll complete it after the break. Uh, there were four books that, that we read 20, almost 25 years ago. Uh, two of them were by Richard Schoenberger, uh, Japanese Manufacturing Techniques, World Class Manufacturing. Another book by Robert Hall, which was Attaining Manufacturing Excellence. 
And then the fourth book was The Gold by Eli Goldratt. Hmm. All right. So we'll pick this up right after the break. Fascinating. Thank you very much. Brent, see you in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment rising to levels not seen since the Great Depression. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn again, and I'm here with Brent Allen from Lifetime Products in Utah, and Brent is our guest and telling us about Lifetime's journey, just be, just kind of telling us about right now what his own background is and then what um, his company's improvement journey, how it started and where they went next. Please, Brent. Well, from 1986, uh, when Lifetime was formed, for about 22 years, we attempted to implement what we had learned by ourselves without any real system or any real outside help. And uh, we were running a good company. Uh, we were profitable. And then um, we started taking the, the lean journey seriously. Um, and that was about three years ago. And someone brought you to uh, the lean journey and visuality. Maybe you could make mention, please, of Steve Reed and the MEP and how they helped out. Our president, uh, Richard Hendrickson, uh, became started doing some real research into lean, and that took us to our MEP, which is uh, in U- the Manufacturing Extension Partnership. Uh, and if you're not familiar with these groups, there is a group in every state. Uh, the MEP is funded a third by the federal government, 
and a third by the state government, and then a third by private business. In other words, we paid a third. So one of the things that's marvelous about this set of consultants is they, they brought us the content we needed, but they brought it to us at a third of the price. Mm-hmm. Um, S- Steve Reed began telling us about lean, and they had a complete program of identifying what lean is. Yes, I'm very impressed by the MEP network. <laughs> I'm getting, if anyone is listening, I mean, we're getting a tremendous amount of feedback here. Maybe we can address that. Uh, so, so the MEP, I believe, introduced you to the idea of visuality, if I'm remembering the sequence correctly. Uh, yes, what we did is study and lean, and, and we started, obviously, uh studying the Toyota production system. And one of our first steps is we create our own house of lean. And we identified uh, 16 different lean tools that we wanted to implement. And on the foundation of this house of lean, we identified the most basic tools. And the three tools that we really identified to focus on was 5S, Visual, and Kaizen. Hmm. And why that particular combination? Uh, we thought they were the building blocks, the basic, that they would impact all of their other implementations. So tell us how you got brought into visual and why that became such a central piece that you decided to act upon. Um, we were trying to implement Kaizen's and Kaizen's at that time was basically a suggestion program and it was ended up being oriented about what we wanted other people to do. Uh, the nice thing about the visual workplace is that gave us methodology to focus on individual workers and what they were going to do, not just make suggestions of what other people were going to do. And so the, the visual workplace gave us a, a framework to implement Kaizen's and implement 5S, and uh, literally the visual workplace has become the the core structure for us implementing all of the other lean tools. So just to amplify this a little bit, because lots of people who are listening are familiar with lean, and many of them think that lean is um, the umbrella for visuality and the umbrella for 5S. So maybe I can ask the question this way. Why wasn't lean enough? Why wasn't 5S enough to get visual? What was the missing piece that you were looking for? Uh, there are two different places that have, that have told us about cultural change as compare of, compared to implementing tools. Uh, one of them is the visual workplace, the visuality that, that you teach. Uh, the second one is the Shingle Prize. Uh, the Shingle Prize out of Utah State University in Logan, Utah, uh, they've done intensive, extensive research about lean implementations that they go so far with a tool approach and then they hit a ceiling and, and really stop progressing and, in fact, start declining. And the reason for that is that they aren't effective in making a cultural change. And we're interested in not just implementing tools, 
but implementing this cultural change of, of continuous improvement. And I found that the methodology of visual workplace gave us those tools that we're first doing with visual, but we're going to use much of the structure and the, the system to implement other, other uh, tools, for example, standard work. So getting back to uh, the 5S piece, did you implement before, and what was your success like with that? Uh, like many of the lean tools, we in, implemented partially, um, halfway, so we had some benefit of it, but we never got to a, a system level or a, a sustaining level. What do you mean by system level? Uh, reoccurring um, measurements um, all through the company. Uh, I'd say that our, our the success was spotty in, in the islands throughout the company instead of being able to take it throughout the whole company. Okay. Uh, one of the big management issues uh, was we were managing at that time by divisions, uh, silo-type management, uh, metals was a separate division, plastic was a separate division, mm-hmm. and then manufacturing where we assembled the product was a third division. And they were all very separate and, and doing it their own way. And recently we've been trying to have a company-wide approach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if you're doing 5S in the way that Lean teaches it, it really doesn't create connectivity between the various Lean pieces and the various 5S pieces, and then also with the separation, the physical separation we talked about before, where you have these buildings spread out with very, very big footprint, very wide. Okay, that makes sense. You know, I want to read something that you wrote in the forward to my book, Work That Makes Sense, and maybe it can add a little more to what you're driving at and maybe you can unnest this for us. I, I really like what you wrote. May I, Brent? Yes, that'd be great. Okay, thanks. Well, first, you do talk about the eye-driven approach and how important that is. But you also say that this approach has structure. It has shape, rules, and accountability. And it provides managers the way, managers the way to control to continuous improvement and a way for them to excel. And you go on to say you need to retain structure so the place doesn't get blown up <laughs> and to communicate and providing respect for managers and their role. That same structure you go on to write allows operators to freely determine how they want to fill their own need to contribute and to excel operator-led visuality. A spirited and engaged workforce is not about anti-management. It is about a system where both sides of the equation succeed. It is not either or, but both. This is a great definition of teamwork. I find this to be a really brilliant uh, observation, and I always love to hear you talk about it because I understand it more as you do. Would you just add some more to that? 
Well, let's define, we roughly define structure as what management provides. Now, specifically in the visual workplace, the structure that was provided that was very successful for us was first training. And then the second part of training is practice exercises within the training. Um, even though operators are interested in providing leadership, I think we underestimate their fear, their fear of doing something wrong, their fear of being criticized, their fear of being criticized not just by management but by their peers. Uh, so the, the, the teaching and the practice exercises in the teaching uh, for those of the uh, uh, listeners that are familiar, there's a set of maps. There's a laminated map. There's a uh, would-be map, a could-be map. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interesting things about these maps is when I was first introduced to the program, those were the things that I was skeptical about. Those were the things that I thought that was a waste of time because we weren't getting right into creating the visual devices. And after we went through the program, then I could see that that, that structure, that practice exercises, is what allowed the, the, the workers to have confidence to begin leading it themselves. Um, I just want to interject here. When you're talking about the program, you mean the training of trainers. As the trainers learn to use this approach, you were, you were having some reservation about it, and then it kind of the penny dropped, and you saw that the operators were – using those exercises to gain their own confidence to move forward, kind of feeling their own power. And, and the exercises were part of the structure that I'm talking about. So you, you, you have pra- training, but not just classroom training, the exercises within the training, within the classroom. That then, then the next step is specifically assignments to begin baby steps going out on the floor and just, just doing minor little activities. And... Um, one of the, the tools, which is part of what the management brought, was what you call the, the hit list. I think that's your term for it. Yes, yes. Um, since we were so involved with Kaizans at the time, we now call that the visual Kaizan chart. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that we didn't want to have a Kaizan program when it, when it came to 5S or, or any other lean tool then have a separate program for visuals. So we list all of our Kaizens on one place, and uh, we call that the visual Kaizen chart. Yes, um, it's a beautiful blending of, of the two, so people are still moving along but still using good tools. Yep. And one of the, the things that we had to really identify in structure is approval. Uh, what exactly do the operators have approval or authority to do? And that's some of the structure that has to build in. And, and in our organization, the, the, uh, basically the, the operators had uh, the freedom to do what they were told. That's about the freedom they had. So we had to, <laughs> that's no freedom at all, is it? <laughs> yeah. We had, to, we had to start from the beginning. And what we ended up doing, the laminated map, which divided the company into small sections, uh, was instrumental for us because then we assigned people to very specific sections. Mm-hmm. And we gave them two two different pre-approvals, I call it. Now, now I'm, you, Brent, I'm just going to ask you to hold on to that. We're moving into a break. As soon as you come back, we'll, uh, we'll, as soon as we get back, we'll pick it up from here. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Entrepreneurial Insights is your weekly excursion into the world of business ownership. Presented by Sunbelt Business Brokers, the leading business brokerage and intermediary firm in the world, Entrepreneurial Insights will examine critical issues that impact both existing and prospective business owners. If you own or want to own a small business, listen for Entrepreneurial Insights with John Davies, Pino Boccianello, and Matt Ottaway. Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. So here we are again, and we're talking about the visual workplace right now, how it's evolving at Lifetime Products in Clearfield, Utah. Our guest is Brent Allen, who is really leading the charge. He has, uh, he brought visual in, he saw its worth, and now he's figuring out how to Make it happen. Make it grow. As an executive, he has to work pretty indirectly, although I have never seen an executive get this involved. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and right right now, he was uh, just before the break, uh, Brent was talking about the use of the laminated map, which is a, simply a map of, of your layout, and sectioning off pieces of that map and giving it to people so that they own it. And uh, this is part of the permission and part of the accountability. Uh, Brent, will you put some more meat on those bones? Well, ownership is an interesting term. Let's, let's talk about who owns what. The first thing that we had to define was who owns the floor. Uh, visuality is, is a lot. Uh, one of the techniques in, in visual, visuality is to, is to use borders on the, on the floor. 
And in our company, there was uh, literally took us months to get to the point where we were all on the same page of who owns the floor. For example, maintenance felt like they owned the floor. Should we paint the floor? Should we should we use tape on the floor? What colors should we use? Um, who has authority to to do anything on the floor? And uh, the laminated mount helped us work through that, and we we finally got to the point where we could assign a small section of the floor to operators, and it was their responsibility. We came up with a, 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 an approved, an agreed upon by everyone uh, color code system and taping system, and we put those materials in the tool crib. So one of the breakthroughs that we had was to pre-approve an operator that they could make changes in their area as long as, as it met two conditions. Condition number one, it was their, only their assigned specific area. And number two, they had to get materials out of the tool crib. The nice thing about that is that that eliminated a whole bunch of budget approval and a whole bunch of different types of tools. And we used standardized material, material raw materials in a standardized system. And to me, this is part of the structure that management needed to do. And once we were able to do that, then the management team, supervisors, maintenance, engineers, were comfortable with letting the operators go out and, and do these pre-approved activities. So let's just clarify that. So what you did as management, the executive management role, was to set up a framework within which operators could freely move back and forth and create their improvements. And I, I want to... I believe that's what you're saying. That's certainly yes. what I observed. Yes. Uh, and but let me. I'm going to use slightly different words so people don't get the wrong imp- uh, impression about people. Then operators then did not engage in pre-approved activities, but they instead applied the principles of visuality. This is operator-led visuality. It's what you do after neat and clean. You get visual. So you use your 5S to get neat and clean, and then you get visual, operator-led visuality, and people are creating local visual solutions to local problems, which they understand through the lens of what we call motion, which is the name of the enemy in visuality, and they're creating visual devices that are helping them perform better locally, and they have the structure, they have the supplies, they have the permissions already in place, so they can just basically flow and be creative and inventive. I think I'm representing it correctly. Please tell me, Brent. Uh, the the tool, the part of the structure, you, re- you represented it perfectly. The one part of the structure that became very critical to us is the hit list or what we call the visual Kaizen chart. So if somebody had an idea, they would go ahead and write it down. This is something we'd like to do. And they could share that with the supervisor and, and just the discussion of that and in many, uh, would lead them to going ahead and, and doing that small visual device. Uh, and that structure of, of the uh, visual Kaizen chart uh, was uh, led to communication between the workers and the supervisors. And uh, there were two types of Kaizens that we can, we call them I-Kaizens, meaning you could do it in your internal area. Or we'd, we'd have Kaizen cards, meaning it would be go to an external area. 
And if you, the Kaizen or idea was in the external area, then there was different levels of approval. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the structure I'm talking about is the approval process for individual operators. And if it were an iKaizen, if it were within my area, within my locus of control, when I spoke to my supervisor, was I seeking permission or was I sim- simply communicating and seeking a, um, a kind of just a, an expression? It's a good, great question. It depends on the person. Uh, some of the the operators are much bolder, and and they knew they were pre-approved. And specifically, some of the maintenance guys that are fairly independent, and and they have tools and materials in their hands. You mentioned maintenance. Maintenance happens to be the area that that, that we've had the greatest success, and they did some marvelous things. Uh, some of its support, some of its recognition. Uh, isn't exactly the same as approval. We, we, we got past the approval hurdle to the support. They, were, they wanted, wanted support in many cases, not from the supervi- supervisor, but from their peers. Uh, peer support, is, I think, is very critical for moving forward with improvements. To feel that it was okay, that their peers your- were going to be okay with it. Yeah, in, in many cases, they're more concerned about what their peers think mm-hmm. than what the supervisor thinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this has to do with the kind of shyness we have in general to be creatively powerful at work. We really have to construct that limb. Management has to construct that limb so that operators and, and folks who are not typically powerful in, in an organization as that organization moves from one traditional culture to the more empowered culture, that it is safe for them to move forward. And, you know, it is a kind of coaxing process of making sure that people feel not just physically safe but psychologically safe, that they're not going to draw any fire for being creative. It's, it's really a new day in our American corporations to allow people to be highly inventive. I, so, I think the second please, second part, if I can go on, when we talk about structure and free will, the second thing that 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 we learn through the visual workplace is, is the concept of the the rowers, the watchers, and the um, grumblers, grum- <laughs> <and> <laughs> the grouches. <laughs> yeah, the significance to me in the learning that I personally learned wasn't that there that there are three different groups of people, and you have people who jump right in, and you have people who stand back and watch, and then you have people that grumble. That that wasn't new learning for me. The new learning was that it's okay. It's okay to grumble. It's okay to watch. That that's very natural, and that you allow people to enter the the, the world of continuous improvement at their own pace. And that may have been obvious for other people, but that was a a breakthrough for me. It is a breakthrough for many. And I think part of the the shift happens when we are kind of forced to finally recognize that the same power that resides in us resides in the other person, but that our lives may have shaped us differently and other people may be either shy or simply afraid to show that. And that's one of the cultural benefits I love about visuality since if you've been listening to any of my other shows, visuality is a language that we embed. It's your performance language. And as a language, it's very intimate. It's very close to us. And as we're able to express ourselves through this visual language, we become more we come out more, we come into our work environment more, we grow. 
and uh, it creates a, a, a workforce of people who have confidence because they've proven to themselves that they have reason to be confident in themselves, not just in their ability to do their work, but their ability to help the company move forward to improve. And that I've seen in many of your individual employees. I think you have done a great job in not letting the kind of team or tribal think take over, but allowing these crazy individuals in Utah. I mean, some of your folks are real cowboys to let them express themselves. My congratulations to you, Brent. Well, thank you. Yeah, and the power of your of the eyes. So, um, I, I'd like you to talk some more about what hap- what's the learning on the supervisory level because in my approach and the approach that you've decided to adopt, supervisors are involved, but they don't really lead. You talk about this thing called self-leaders. And talk about that, if you would, and also from the point of view of the supervisors, where are they gaining strength and what is their what is their takeaway? What is in it for them? The, the, the balancing act is between what, what the supervisors do. And in the beginning, the supervisors are really taught in the classroom. And this is where it all starts to... Um, Sit down and shut up is the, is the best way I can say it. <laughs> Be invisible. And, and, yeah, and, and, and to allow the workers to participate in the training, uh, to answer questions and, and, and some of the directions that is for the supervisors to, um, be there to learn and, and, and to, uh, literally not talk until, unless they're spoken to and, and the reason for that is to begin with the operators, even in the, in the training, answering questions. And, and um, the methodology of, of toning back the supervisors in order to allow enough space for the, the workers to step forward is part of the structure, what I call structure, uh, which is teaching the supervisors what, what they can trust. You're building trust in, in, the, in the people. Uh, and it's not all of the people. It goes back to your rowers and watchers and grumblers. Uh, we've had excellent luck is that there's enough people that get excited and that the watchers see other people do it and then the watchers start doing it. Uh, it's really uh, progress through example. And the example is through some of these operators that are, that are doing things that we never imagined that they would do by themselves once they got an opportunity in a safe environment. Mm. So the, the structure, the structure is providing that safe environment for the. Hold operator. that thought. Hold that thought. Sorry to interrupt you again, Brent. Your sentences are interesting and they're also long. So we'll pick it up as soon as we uh, get back. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. 
Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn, and I'm here with Brent Allen. And just before the break, Brent, you were talking about how the supervisors make the space for the operators to become more powerful in. Would you complete that thought, please? The um, scheduling, one of the areas that the supervisor has responsibility is scheduling the workers' time. Uh, we've had the most success in areas where the workers already are used to scheduling their own time. Uh, maintenance is the area that we've had the greatest success, uh, areas in testing, uh, areas that are not connected to the line. What I mean by the line is all of our products are, are, are basically start with metal, metal fabrication, metal tubing, and then we powder coat it. So we, when we, we have a line, we have a literal line of a conveyor line that goes through the heart of our manufacturing. And, of course, we want to keep that line going. So one of our challenges is, is providing the scheduling of when the people have the time to work on these improvements mm. um, through Kaizen blitzes or small group activities. And so far in our implementation, we're having the greatest, uh, the greatest um, success in areas where the people aren't attached directly to the production line. Mm-hmm. And our biggest challenge is the areas of, of, of scheduling the line workers yes. and when they can get off the line to work on these things. Yes, yes, yes. I'm completely with you. Everyone recognizes that as a problem. Did you actually construct, as we suggested, an improvement time policy? I know you were thinking about it. Yes, we're working on that. I'd say that we're in process of that mm-hmm. right now. And some areas are doing very well uh, um, where they're, they're looking at a, a, an hour a week or a half an hour mm-hmm. or four hours. Uh, right now, it's still depending on the area. Um, I find, what, what are your suggestions for how much improvement time right. a company should have? Right. Yeah, and, well, you know, you can begin with 15 minutes. That's happened. 
and you can go up to an hour. And some companies, uh, some companies provide an hour and a half. Some, some provide overtime on Saturdays. Some shut down once a month because they can't find time because their uh, processes are so connected. But you do have to work that out. And for those of you who don't want to have a private conversation here with Brent, but one of the requirements that we consider to be indispensable in starting up an implementation is to have a cogent improvement time policy, and then you have to work out how to operationalize it. And we'll send, spend a whole program on implementation startup requirements, but uh, that is what uh, Brent is challenged with. While we're at it, I, I want to make sure, because this, we're in the last segment of the show, to ask you what's working, what's not. But also I want to say why I am so impressed by you, Brent, because Brent, who is a vice president of operation, he spends so much time on airplanes, so much time going to China. They have operations in China. He's a busy, busy man, and he came to a full week of training. He was there taking notes. I got to know the top of his head better than than his eyeballs because he was always taking notes. He was an incredible student, and I was so impressed that this senior, senior executive who I think I think you're probably the most senior executive there, are you not? You have something like 30 years, 25 years. Well, that's correct. Yeah, that he took the time to learn because how is he going to lead and how is he going to know how to help others unless he knows what the principles are and what the heart of the change is? So anyway, my compliments to you once again. Well, <laughs> Tell thank us you. what's I, working. I... Go ahead, please. I was, to pleased, I was pleased to go through the training. Then I was very pleased to actually teach the class. So I was one of the trainers, and I had one of the areas. A machine shop happened to be the area that was assigned to me, and I got real close to those guys. And still one of my favorite parts of the company's machine shop because of going through the training and the exercises and seeing the growth in, in those machinists. Mm. One of the things that's working very good is we, we came up with a checklist of what we expected to be accomplished in a, in a specific area. And then um, <clears throat> we used the, one of the techniques off the hit list, which is using the colored dots, the, the uh, red, yellow, and green dots, and green meaning you're finished. So on this checklist, we complete this checklist with green dots, somewhat like if you're playing bingo and you're doing blackout, you fill all the squares. And in this case, we have a specific... Uh, um, goal for an area to accomplish, and then we have that call. We call that going visual green, which is the completion of all the training, all of the maps, mm-hmm. implementing visual devices in their area, and then there's a series of inspections that we go through to qualify an area. And we've had about seven areas go green in the company, and then we have a an open house. In fact, we ha- we give them green shirts and green cookies and green everything. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Which, yeah, what really keys off of the, the visual Kaizen chart, which is has a green dot every time you complete something. So we'll have areas that have 100, 100 Kaizens or 100 uh, devi- visual devices completed and with just sea of green is what we're looking for. Hmm. And these open houses have been probably the the most um, successful in being examples, and we have people come and see, and and the normal reaction is this looks fantastic. I ha- they have before and after pictures that shows the improvement, 
and and getting somebody from one area to go into another another area of the company has been fantastic. Isn't it amazing? People can work twelve years in a company and only know their area. That's excellent. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead, please. Uh, so, so I think that, that that what we call a visual grown visually green has been a very successful part. Um, scheduling is what we're struggling with. That's part of the structure we haven't completely resolved. Uh, for some reason, on the production line, they they think of having everybody work on something at the same time. Yes. We've got to teach the production supervisors to do a small kaizen blitz with four or five people and Mm -hmm. they may have to come on a different day they may have to come on a we work 410 so friday's available um, but getting that structure of the schedule to where the supervisors and the workers are comfortable Mm -hmm. is one of our next challenges yes it's so interesting and here at the beginning of the show i was saying how these Company conversions, they take time. You have to first learn what the change is, and then you have to start working it through in your own local environment, keeping the abiding principles, principles about people, but principles also about methodology and outcomes and principles of visuality. And then you start to create this hybrid that works for you. In this case, that works across 20 buildings, or is it 22 buildings? 20 is fine. (laughs) <laughs> 20 <That's> buildings <laughs> yeah this is great work you know we're going to invite um, uh, Lance Bossiger and also David um, pardon me give me his last name David Norberg Norberg yes who's uh, in maintenance to come and uh, we'll have a conversation with them and we'll get into the nitty gritty of what some of these devices are looking like uh, but you have a very legitimate um uh, a vision and also uh, implementation methodology. My compliments to you. We're just coming to the end of the show. I want to thank you so very much, Brent, for taking time in your busy day and your busy year to uh, talk to us about workplace visuality. When we have a public seminar there or when you have another public tour, I hope that the people uh, who are listening will come and visit and see for themselves the great work you're doing. Thank you, Brent. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.